Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word. It's Mark Sheldrake here, National Director of Precept Ministries International. Welcome to Unlocking the Truth podcast. We've been studying 1 John together, and this week we're going to be looking at the final verses of the chapter. Some exciting stuff in here, some red flags in here. But so looking forward to digging into God's word with you. Would you join me in praying as we start? Father, we come before you now so thankful for this day, thankful for this time that we have to uh, study your word together, to learn from uh, the book of 1 John. Would you uh, guide our time together? In your name we pray. Amen. You know, a few years ago, um, when I was, uh, before I worked at Precept Ministries, I was a pastor and served in the local church, and, and the local church that I was serving in was coming to the point in time in, in their life of the ministry that uh, they weren't going to be able to afford to pay two pastors anymore. They could only pay one pastor, and uh, the option was for um, me to take on an interim role for a little while, and then eventually when the church found their senior pastor that they were looking for, uh, then I would part ways with the church and uh, be headed off to uh, find a new position. In that time, uh, just kind of soul searching and trying to figure out uh, what I was going to do next within my life, I realized that um, maybe, just maybe, uh, I should probably leave ministry altogether. And uh, when I decided that uh, I was going to just walk away from from uh, the church and walk away from serving the Lord and, and try to attempt attempt to become a police officer uh, and work with um, students or probation. I mean, I bounced around so many different ideas of what I, uh, what I could do, but uh, never on the forefront of my mind was there uh, an opportunity or a desire to continue uh, to serve the Lord. I remember uh, sitting uh, with my family and, and financially uh, beginning to really struggle working in a warehouse and, and uh, delivering the newspaper at 3, uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. What a, what a nightmare uh, time I was having. And I was in one of those valleys, you know, they talk about that the Christian terminology is in one of those valleys where... Uh, you feel this complete separation from from God, a complete separation from uh, really man. And uh, there was nothing, nothing I felt like where I knew that God was uh, present with me, that I was basically on an island all by myself. And uh, it came to the point in my life that my uh, wife, Jessica, her her grandfather had passed away and you know if my if Jessica's listening to this she may never she this may be the first time she hears this but you know I, I went to the cemetery and I sat at uh, um, Jessica's grandfather's uh, grave and you know he's not there he he's present with the Lord but I said to said to the stone you know I said uh, hey Ray uh, was his name? I said, Ray, you're you're a lot closer to God than I am right now. Would you uh, mind having a conversation with him about uh, what's going on in my life? And maybe at this point, uh, 
something can be done uh, to turn my life around. And uh, I thought after, you know, years of remembering that conversation at that gravestone, I think that was the point where in my life uh, I realized that there had to be um, another, you know, this is not a rededication of my life as a Christian, but this is a moment of surrender where uh, the conversation I had with Ray turned into a conversation with God where I lifted up prayers to God and said, Father, uh, I'm done trying to do this on my own. Uh, I want you to just take control and show me the direction that I need to go. And uh, from that point, everything fell into place from that complete surrender and ended up at Precept Ministries uh, hired by Tom and Jane Hart to, to serve as the um, assistant to the national director. Now, uh, eight years, uh, almost eight years later, uh, sitting here chatting with you as the national director on this podcast, Unlocking the Truth. But the reason I tell you that uh, story to start this off is the very fact that uh, the subject that we want to cover today, uh, coming out of verses 13 really to uh, verse 21, um, even looking 13 to, to 18, uh, there is a word that's used over and over and over. And, and that word is ask. And, and the word ask there indicates that uh, we're going and having a conversation with God. And listen how uh, John all sets this up. And he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So this right here, the whole purpose for uh, the book of 1 John is knowing uh, that you are uh, secure as a child of God, that you are uh, saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you know that, there's this uh, next verse that comes out of this. is says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us uh, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the, the request which we have asked from him. So there's a couple things that we want to look at here, first of all, and the topic for this week, the topic amidst all of this stuff that's even going to come out of uh, the later verses, you know, because a lot of people battle in the later verses about what is this sin that leads to death? What is this uh, unforgivable sin? And I know that um, even myself have joked about this unforgivable sin before and just as, hey, let's ask that as a difficult question. And it is a difficult question and a difficult thing to understand. But the overlying subject of these verses is not the unforgivable sin. It is the whole topic of prayer and the importance of prayer in the life of a believer. And so first and foremost, you have uh, the very fact that John says, uh, I've written this letter to you, and we've seen, we've studied through this whole letter, knowing that all of that, all those times we see the word no, or we hear the word no, uh, these are all proofs that we are a child of God. We spent one week in this podcast looking at what it means to be a child of God versus a ch child of the devil. 
And so here he says, if you know that you uh, believe in God, if you know that you're a child of God, if you know that you have eternal life, this is the confidence that you have, that when you go before uh, Jesus or you go before the Father, you can ask anything according to his will and he hears us. But this is uh, the most important thing. There's a condition here in asking for uh, what you want. It's not your will that you ask by. It's not the things that you want that you desire. You know, this is not creating a grocery list of items that you want to take before the Lord. This is praying things that have to do with His will, praying according to His will. So we have to ask ourselves first, how do we know that we're praying according to God's will. Well, believers, we have seen through the book of 1 John, believers have uh, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit within them to guide them. He'll tell them what God's will is in all the situations. The believer's responsibility in all of this is, is to abide in the Son, abide in the Father. And so we do that by obeying His commandments, obeying His word, and having the Spirit within us. And so also that God um, stated his will in his word. So one of the reasons that John wrote this letter to believers is because they know the truth and he wanted them to know more of the truth. And so here we have, um, let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. And it says here, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And so one of the staples of asking prayer in prayer for the what is of God's will is our obedience to Him. When we abide in Him, we're in tune with God and we know His will. You see, one of the problems that I had when I was trying to have conversations with the Lord, when I was living in my own way, in my own pattern, is I was taking a list of things to God and asking Him to, to answer them. Father, give, give us the finances that we need to provide. Give us uh, food for our table. Father, I so need a job that I can uh, be able to provide for my family. But you see, the problem was all of these requests are not outside of what uh, we might normally ask for uh, when we pray, but you see, my heart, my my life, my my obedience to God and His Word was non-existent. I had put my Bible away. I had hid it under a counter so that I wouldn't even look at it. You know, I had gone from preaching in that Bible for 52 weeks of the year, and I put that away, and I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to open it. And therefore, the more and more I didn't get into God's word, the more and more I separated myself from God. You see, God never moved. I was the one who moved. And because I moved further and further away from God's will, my requests, my prayers became my own desires and they were nothing to do with God's will. <clears throat> and so, uh, we want to be ensuring that we live a life of obedience and knowing God's will is a part of asking and receiving from him. And so it is so important that we have an understanding that uh, our prayer requests, we can confidently go to God 
and lay those things before him. When we ask anything according to his will, when we pray according to his will, he will hear us. And you see, that's the encouragement we have as children of God. That's the confidence that we have that as we abide, he hears the voice of his children. Let's look at a couple cross-references to see what um, we also learn about prayer in, uh, prayer in John chapter uh, 14, John 14 verses, uh, John 14, 14, and see what he says, uh, John says there. So let me just turn there really quickly for you. And it says that if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In John chapter uh, 16, verse 24, and he says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. One of the conditions that we've talked about, about abiding in him, John chapter 15, verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, it's so important. The key ingredient in all of this is that we must abide. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21. We've got to abide in the Father and in the Son. That means to live and dwell and remain in him, not walk away like I did when I left the church, but remain in his presence, continuing to be obedient to him. Matthew chapter 21, 18 to 22. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there be ever any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And he said, uh, Jesus answered to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is right, what is done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and it will happen, and all things you ask in prayer, believing joy, you will, uh, you, believing you will receive. And so look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this, and this is that big chapter on uh, faith. And so we have Hebrew in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek them. You see, one of the other key ingredients is that when we ask in prayer, we've got to actually believe that God is going to do something about that, that we believe that our prayers are heard and that he hears us and that he will answer us. You see, sometimes the problem is with prayer is that we lift up those prayers and we are confidently praying in that moment. And yet in that moment, as soon as that time is gone and the prayer isn't answered, we begin to wonder if God actually heard us. And you know, I have a friend of mine and this this completely gives a 180 and where, where I am in my entire life now is because I've had people uh, come to me uh, through uh, Facebook and say to me, my son has cancer and you are a lot closer to God than I am and therefore I know that God will hear your prayers and so would you pray for my son? 
And then I sit back and I say to myself, you know, how painful it is to know that somebody understands and sees my relationship with Jesus Christ, my abiding in him, my living and dwelling in him, and the faith that I have that God is gonna answer prayers, that the individual who does not know Jesus, who does, has not repented of their sin, who has not come to the point of surrender in their life, is emailing me and messaging me to pray for their son because they know one truth from scripture and that is that God hears the prayers of their children. It's one of the saddest moments and one of the most exciting moments because that was an opportunity for me to go back to that individual and preach the gospel to them and tell them that when they repent and they believe, when they call upon the name of Jesus Christ, when they surrender their lives to him, they too will be called a child of God and their prayers will go up and they will be heard themselves. You can pray for your son. You don't have to wait upon somebody else to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we also see about uh, prayer. And so let me look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 and give you um, some insight into what he says about asking. 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, talks about uh, prayer and asking. It says, your husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir to the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. He says in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attentive, uh, attend to their prayer. And so one of the things that we learn in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 7, is that our prayers can be hindered. If a husband does not live with his wife in an understanding way, then his prayers can be hindered. In verse 12, it says, for the eyes of the Lord toward the righteous and his ears attend to them. God answers the prayers of the righteous. This is almost the same wording as 1 John chapter 3, verses 22. There's a contrast here with those who do evil, unbelievers. You see, God's face is against those who do not believe. God's face is against those who are unbelievers. Those prayers are hindered. Those prayers are not heard. So what are some of the uh, reasons for not receiving or feel, seeing answered prayer. Well, the book of James, it talks about wrong motives. It talks about self-centered motives. So having the right motives corresponds with doing what pleases God and what is asking. <clears throat> John uh, chapter nine, verse 31, Proverbs 28, Isaiah, Psalms, they all talk about the wicked, the sinners, and those who turn away from listening to his law. They describe those as unbelievers, those who prayers are not heard. You see, in that moment, even though I was an, a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I fully believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, that he had forgiven me. This is the message that I had preached for 52 years or 52 weeks of the year. And you see, the problem was that I was so focused on preaching that message to the congregation that I forgot to preach it to myself and remember 
that those who abide in Jesus Christ, those who dwell in Jesus Christ, those who live and are obedient to his word, those prayers are heard. But those who are unbelievers, those who are uh, separated from God, God's face is against them. And for that moment in time, I thought to myself, you know, here is God's face continually looking at me, shining upon me, knowing that I was a child of God. You see, the problem was I was like a four-year-old child who didn't get what he wanted and he turned his face to the corner and didn't want to look God eye to eye. And therefore, my prayers went unheard because I chose not to pray, but I chose to go to the site of a grave and begin to talk to a man who is no longer with us, whose spirit is no longer present in him, but present with the Lord, and ask him to go speak to the Lord on my behalf. So prayer is vital in the life of a believer. Charles Spurgeon says prayer is the furnace that keeps the church warm. And so it's so vital for us as believers to be in conversation with God. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So how is your prayer life? Are you seeing answered prayer in your life? A wise mentor of mine uh, who, who just passed away told me and said, why don't you keep a prayer journal? Why don't you record all of the prayers that you ask the Lord, and as the Lord answers them, check them off. You see, these are markers in the Christian faith when you can see where God is answering your prayer. And you can look back on those points in your life, and you can see those answered prayer, and you can remember that, yes, God heard you. God answered you. And you see, the problem is it doesn't always happen in, in your time. And that's the most difficult part about the faith. We have to actually believe that God is doing his will in his time, and it's not in our own. In one of the church I served as a pastor, there was a lady who prayed for the salvation of her son for 40 years every single day, nonstop, every day. Father, save my son for 40 years. Do you know the faith and the perseverance it takes to pray for 40 years for the salvation of your child? Maybe you're listening to this and you're doing it. But in the 41st year of her prayers, her son heard the gospel and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Amazing that after 41 years of prayer, this woman's prayer was answered. I don't know about you, if I could be able to hang in, I would hope if that came to it that I would be able to hang in for 41 years of perseverant prayer and faith that God was gonna save her son or save my son. Because we live in a culture now where we can just go and get everything we need very quickly and solve the problems ourselves. But persistent prayer with faith, abiding in him, he will hear us and he will answer those prayers.
Verse 16 says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God, uh, ask and God will give for, uh, for him give life. Let me read that again for you. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So the first thing we have to understand here is the context of these verses. This is uh, a very interesting uh, set of verses, and uh, we're going to um, spend a few minutes digging into these verses, but we have to understand the context. The context of all of this is prayer. The context and the message uh, that we have here in the focus is, is that word ask and request, which is a conversation with God. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. Father, would you forgive that person? Would you bring that person to the point of salvation? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 13 is an example of uh, this sin not leading to death. And, and let me read this for you uh, because Paul in the Corinthians church, there was a whole lot of problems going on. Paul spends uh, the first half of the letter of Corinthians and he is um, answering or addressing the problems that have been reported to him. And then the last half of the letter, he is addressing uh, things or questions that were asked of him. Verse uh, Chapter 5, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You've become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, through though absent in the body but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus, I decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about here is, is asking Jesus, asking the Father to uh, forgive this person who's committing this sin. And so the next uh, verse there is um, that there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. Well, one possible example and one possible uh, relation to all of this sin that is uh, leading to, to death, and then I'll give you three views on what uh, these could possibly be, is Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, is the uh, story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so listen to what uh, these verses, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. 
and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men who got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such, such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied to God. They tested the spirit. The result of this sin that they be, uh, did in lying to God was death. This could be one of the examples of what John is referring to as the sin uh, leading to death. Another example of what this sin that's leading to death can be found in uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1 verses 19 and 20. And uh, what Paul says to Timothy is keeping, uh, a good, keeping the faith, a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regarding to their faith. Among these are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so they will be taught not to blaspheme. So these two men, they rejected the faith. They were unbelievers. Paul said he handed them over to Satan so that they would learn not to blaspheme. Then, then 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 is another example of that sin that uh, might be leading to death. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses uh, 20 to 34. And uh, listen to what um, Paul writes here. Therefore, this is regarding the Lord's Supper. When you meet together, it is not to eat of the Lord's Supper. Uh, for in your... For in your um, eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you uh, not have houses in which you eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink and eat it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup, the Lord in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
but a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats, the drink, uh, eats and drinks, and eats and drinks judgment to himself, for if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you sleep. This isn't taking a nap. This is, this is death. But we judged ourselves rightly. We would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that they will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together, eat. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. First Corinthians is an example of those who were turning the uh, Lord's Supper into a buffet. They weren't remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They weren't following through in the Lord's Supper in the way that uh, they had been called to do so uh, through Jesus. They were taking advantage and doing their own thing, and therefore some were becoming sick. Some were becoming weak. Some were dying. And Paul called it the Lord's discipline. Hebrews uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 26 to 31. And listen to what it says here in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. It says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the furry of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These are severe warnings to continue to abide in Jesus Christ. You see, I'm not 100% confident we can come to a clear confusion, uh, con conclusion on what that unforgivable sin is. But let me give you three scholarly views of uh, what the unforgivable sin is. The first is uh, a sin leading to death can be a, a specific sin or a deadly sin. Now, uh, you can look at the uh, seven deadly sins. We have a fantastic study on the deadly sins called Fatal Distractions, a 40-minute Bible study. If you want to look closer at those specific uh, deadly sins. The second possible sin leading to death is uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The third is total rejection of the gospel. You see, for me, as an individual and believer of Jesus Christ, I believe that this is the sin leading to death that makes the most sense. It presents the least of the problems to scholars as well. And you see, it aligns to the very 
understanding of what 1 John is all about. 1 John is a clear cut. This is uh, how you know that you are a child of God. We also have looked at the podcast in the previous weeks of these are the clear signs of a child of the devil. It, it's, it's a black and white subject here. And the reality is that if people completely know the truth, they understand the truth, maybe not fully believe the truth, but they reject it, then that is the sin that leads to death. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you choose to reject the gospel, you choose to reject Jesus Christ, and you choose to reject what was done on the cross, and you choose to not have eternal life. But if you choose to believe in the name of the Son of God, you will know that you have eternal life life. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, uh, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now look what he says in verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God in eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So before we look at these final verses, I just want to reiterate that the important understanding here in verses 13 to 17 is the topic of prayer. We have confidence to go before God when we are a child of God. When we ask of God's will, he hears us and we will receive. These are the cross references in John chapter 15. Ask and receive when we abide. And then if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, we need to be praying for these people. We need to be asking that God would rescue them from the darkness of sin and bring them into the light of Jesus Christ. But I think what John is saying in the end of verse 17 is the sin that's leading to death, I do not say that he should make a request for this, is, you know, should we be praying? And this, this might be the controversial conversation of the moment is, should we be praying for those who completely reject the gospel? One commentary says that it's, it's really what John, they think John is saying is that our prayers will be more eventful if we pray for the one who is sinning, not leading to death, that God would rescue and save them. It would be more value to pr- be valuable to pray for that individual than the one who is going to completely keep their back turned to Jesus Christ no matter what that even when they're confronted with the truth, they would choose to not believe for circumstance. Isn't that really what our culture's looking like today? Where we're praying for, you know, our country, we're praying that the gospel would go forward, 
and we have a, a movement where it is a complete and utter rejection of the gospel for, for the choosing of own desire and own will. We need to pray that God would completely wreck those individuals who are in sin, not leading to death. And our focus should be praying on the, for those individuals so that the gospel will radically transform them more than it will for the individual who is blatantly, outright rejecting the faith for the purpose and blaspheme of the gospel. We know that no one is born of God. Believers are of God. We also know that uh, no one born of God sins. That means they don't continuously, habitually sin. Jesus keeps them and protects those who are born of God and the devil does not touch them. The word touch there means to hold on to. The believers are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Look around. For those who hold to an eschatology that believes that this is the millennial reign, look around. This is not the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is still present in heaven with the Father waiting for that moment to come down from heaven to reign. But he is not reigning right now. Sin reigns in this world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him. You see, what we have in front of us and what we've been looking at and what Precept Ministries is all about is these 66 books of the Bible. Kay Arthur would sit and she would tell us, how many books of the Bible does God want you to know? And if you were in a large group, their large group would respond and say, 66. And she would say, yes, God wants you to know all of them. And we have the truth. Here in the New Testament, we have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the prophecy of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. We have the truth right in front of us, and all we have to do is open and study and understand. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I think John is kind of leaving us with these final statements to know the truth. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and no one comes to the Father except through him. There is sin in the world, but believers don't continue in habitual sin. Non-believers do. Non-believers live in sin because they don't know the truth. But I think one of the important things here, and you look at the final verse, he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. I don't know if this is the literal translation 
but this is my uh, translation and my understanding is, you know what, guard yourselves from the things of the world. Don't get caught into the trap of power and money and position. Don't get caught gathering all kinds of stuff and beginning to worship all the things of this world, but worship the one true God who provides eternal life. That's it. You know, it's so easy for us to, as Exodus tells us, make our own idols. We're the ones who create them, we're the ones who carve them, we're the ones who polish them, we're the ones who put them on the shelves. And so we need to be so aware of those things in our lives. Protect ourselves, guard ourselves, cut them out of our lives so that we can focus on the one true God that we should be worshiping. So that's a lot we have covered this week in the podcast on 1 John. I want to thank you for joining in with us. Listen, we're going to do this again. But I want you to think about these two things as we part ways in this book. Is first is, how is your prayer life? Are you seeing God answer your prayers? Are you seeing uh, physical, tangible things uh, happening in your life where you know that you've asked God to... to um, take care of those things, you've surrendered them over to him and he has answered your prayers. If you do, praise the Lord. If you're sitting and listening to this and you're wondering to yourself, boy, I, I'm not really seeing answered prayer in my life. Well, the first thing I would say to you is you need to check yourself. The term I say to my daughter all the time is check yourself before you wreck yourself. The reality is we need to search internally and ask God to search our hearts and search our lives and ask God, is there sin in my life that is hindering my prayers? Is there something in my life that is hindering me from seeing answered prayer? And then like in that moment that I, at that point, just before coming to precept, realized that I need to completely surrender everything. You see, I had already surrendered my life to him, but there were so many things that I was hanging on to. And when I surrendered all those things, God began to answer prayer. And to this day, I still see each and every week answered prayer. And so how is your prayer life? Check your heart. Ask the Lord. Ask the Spirit to convict you of things where you need to seriously remove from your life. And the second is, what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping idols? Are the idols the things that are stopping you from having your prayers answered? Little children, Guard yourselves from idols. Seek after God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. God first. Everything else comes second. Father, we come before you, and we are so thankful again for this time. 
Father, I think of these verses and these difficult things to understand in the sin leading to death and not leading to death. And Father, the most important thing for us as individuals to understand is that we need to come to you in prayer. That we need to be lifting up those who are living in sin so that you will do the work in their lives to convict them of sin. To show them the truth that they will come to the point of salvation. And Father, for those who choose to completely and utterly reject the gospel, such a sad day for those people, Lord, to know that judgment will come upon them because they choose not to believe in the very fact that your son Jesus was sent from heaven that he came to this earth, that he lived on this earth, that he served you, that he was without sin while he was on this earth, that he became the lamb led to the slaughter and put on the cross, that his blood washed away the sins for past, present, and future, that after the third day after he was buried, that he rose from the dead and that he appeared to many according to the scriptures, Lord. And Father, the very fact that he is the provider of eternal life, that you provide eternal life through your, through your son, Jesus. That people choose to reject that and choose death over life. And so Father, we pray that um, you would help us to spread truth, that you would help us to uh, get deeper into the word of God that you would help us to abide in you. You see, Father, one of the things here is that we can have confidence when we know that we're a child of God, when we know that our salvation is secure. And that's why we're so thankful for the book of 1 John, because as we study it, we have an even greater understanding of who we are and our position in you. So Father, we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy to save us from sin. In your name we pray. Amen. For more information on Precept Ministries Canada, visit us online at www.preceptministries.ca or call us at 877-234-2030.